This show is brought to you by Buzzsprout.com, the best and excitingly prettiest way to start a podcast. Chapter 19 Scars That Bleeding Time Part 1 One. Listen. something listeners there have been many times in my life when i have simply wished to expire moments that remain frozen that crudely depict my designs upon departing when i long and plan and sometimes have a long-term plan to become completely and utterly deceased times when i just want someone or something to fucking kill me Times such as these usually occur when receiving constructive criticism from recently resurrected relatives, all sassy and confident in their newly altered existence. Would have preferred a private bollocking, really, but my grandmother has always been one for laying everything out on the table for all to believe. 
I could see her sway over the rest of the crew, my supposed friends grow ever stronger as she was finally able to answer each one of their burning questions. Cleverly, Grandma began with the kids, specifically little Lana Merrick, who was mostly concerned about getting control over her psychic abilities. Talking Lana through such methods of control seemed to not just relax the mood of Lana herself, but also that of her father and fully grown future son. She seemingly processed that latter concept with an ease that concerned me. My concern was then compounded by the guilt I felt minutes later when the subject turned to the death of Lana's mother, Lacey, and my careless placing of a drop point the night after she was murdered, as opposed to the night before or perhaps a couple of weeks. In short, some in the room were now wondering why I had not been able to prevent Lacey's death, adding to that Hunter's father, Caesar's death. I could feel their trust fast draining away. The little grey wolf came to my aid, though I did not deserve it, attempting to explain to Hunter again the changes in the time rule since Galen's alterations in 2017. The changes made in the future can also alter the past, not just the other way around. A corrupted causal nexus. And above all, that the entire reason any of us were even standing together in that medical bay all present and partially correct was because with a whole lot of work, we can set everything right. Spoken like a boy who's become far too used to murdering his relatives, and although Hunter was listening initially, even calming, another look at me sent him straight to sobbing. I could feel his grief, his hate, also Lana's hate combined with that of her son and her father, all of them staring at me. It was unbearable, as was Jamie's seeming indifference towards me after Grandma had explained my part in what happened to Shaira, before moving on to the reveal of the security risk that I had caused by showing and instructing her on the ins and outs of the nerve center, meaning that none of us were actually safe there anymore. Even House, whose memory I had wiped three times since Shaira's first visit was now either sounding contemptuous or not making any sounds at all. The silent treatment. No doubt I'd be getting my fingers slammed in unfriendly doors and drawers for the foreseeable future. And that was all before Grandma actually focused her attention onto me. I didn't actually have any questions, for Grandma already possessed all the answers. And you, listeners, well, you heard the rest. I was already teetering on the edge, my dreadful things. And now, I am not flying. I am falling. Falling away. Three. Among the vastly uncharted regions, some near-distant light years away from the constellation of Zansakura, there is a planet. A planet that I myself have designated Silencia Seruska. I would say it's about three quarters of the size of planet Earth, and therefore about a quarter of the size of Acatania Prime. If anything, it reminded me of Mars, in terms of how peaceful it often felt, and how deserted it truly was. Silencia Seruska was a very special planet, because it hosted a very, very special and extraordinarily rare towering glass spire. My last measurements came in at over 80 feet tall 
and around 30 feet thick. And yes, I did say last measurement, because it is known to grow and to evolve. The towering glass spire, or as I have come to call it, the transpire, is organic. It is, in fact, alive. The transpire reads as a mostly silicon-based life form. I've done a fair bit of research, listeners, and given the relatively obvious evidence of large-scale orbital bombardment and the estimated size of the lone crater circling the base of the structure and cutting in to the planet's surface, I would hypothesize that an as-yet-undetermined alien organism likely hosted within this possible once-upon-a-meteorite bonded with the high concentration of silicon abundant on and underneath the planet's surface. This aforementioned element has a lot of strong bonding properties, and like all carbon-based life, evidently has the ability to grow, reproduce, respond to environmental or other outsider stimuli, and evolve over time. I try to follow the lifespan of the Transpire in a linear fashion in order to track that very evolution, and each time I return to Silencia, it appears to have visibly aged. Smatterings of sentience also became apparent when I began to notice the Transpire possessed some kind of breathing pattern, accompanied by a constant, vibrating humming sound. There were times in its relative youth when the structure looked more like a tree than a tower, but time and maturity seems to have granted upon it a more man-made appearance, again suggesting that there was some conscious mind at work, coupled with the seeming lack of presence in all other regions of the planet. The planet's surface was rocky, treacherous, and a dusted, piercing violet. And although Silencia's atmosphere was dense and cloudy, the occasional glimmer from a red sun caused the transpire to shine shockingly like shimmering diamond. By night, its twin moons cast down dualistic light and twin puppets of strange, shapely shadow along the transpire's body, making it occasionally near invisible to the naked eye. After being very gently and carefully extricated, the geodes produced by the spire, I came to find after around 20-ish years of careful studies in my youth, were highly programmable and manipulable when exposed to a careful mixture of heat, blood, telekinesis, and certain elements of chaos magic. The heat acts as a general adhesive or binding agent. The blood will, of course, be pre-programmed and prepped with the desired intentions, whether they be mystical or scientific. The telekinesis is the physical process by which all of these compounds and physical fibers will be brought together, and the chaos magic, the, shall we say, extra-dimensional element of the process, will account for all of the variables possibly presented by compounds present within my blood sample that could react unfavorably with the geodes produced by the spire. The chaos was the final ingredient by which order could be created, but it did involve inwardly and verbally communicating and bargaining with entities that didn't always hold me in the highest of regards, given what they no doubt knew I used the geodes for. Though I do hope that becomes clear without the need of actual admission, as I am largely ashamed to be reduced to the level at which I now reside. Presently, making my way to my planet of solitude, I mused upon my secrets. Some revealed, some locked away, and some no doubt still patiently waiting to be kept. There was a time in my relative youth when my story was true, when my cause was just, largely righteous for the benefit of all. But it seems my purpose has become corrupted. 
In fact, it was I who corrupted it. I have corrupted myself, and so I have corrupted my purpose. But who the hell am I? And what even is my purpose anyway? That's a question that's been keeping me awake at night of late. Perhaps, listeners, there are some of you out there who can relate. As Dear House kindly revealed to Grandmama's tweeting birdie while she was on her relative deathbed, Grandma Grin, and by extension, myself, are Akitanian-born descendants of what I personally refer to as sentient cosmological variables. Grandma would tell you that I'm being sinful, silly, and cynical, and that what I refer to as mere variables were in fact the first physical sentient beings that learned to process and manipulate the fourth dimension, which ultimately turned them, quote-unquote, insane. The willed manipulation of time. But I'm not so sure. We have many designations, our family, given that we tend to possess varying attributes other than the manipulation of time that would not usually be present in one species simultaneously. Example, our use of various magical types and how it affects us, what we can do, and what ultimately we cannot do. Other than the inherent ability to personally manipulate the fourth dimension through natural thought and seemingly insignificant signs, working, one would hope, with a pure causal nexus to account for possible butterfly effects and paradoxes, a power passed down from our ancestors along with their apparent insanity, my grandmother and I, being Akitanian born and bred, also have the ability to harness energy gifted by the suns and moons of the universe. Some, of course, are more powerful than others, and our power levels can vary depending on their compositions. We have come to call it light-based magic, or light magic, despite its more inherent link to energy as opposed to light itself. Although, this form of magic does often tend to physically manifest itself as light and heat-based constructs. These constructs can be used to create weapons and conjured to create controlled pulses of energy that could heal, incapacitate, or kill, depending on the intention. Our access to the sun and moon also grants us connection with the spiritual energies of both, allowing us to commune with the deities that hail from the respective lunar and solar astral planes. This grants us further access to the unhealthy side of our magic, the much darker side, the side driven, as you no doubt have guessed, by chaos. Yes, we gain access to knowledge known by the few, gain the ability to take over the psyches of others, to invade their privacy and bend them to our will, but that is not a healthy habit to get into. And as you no doubt know by now, if you've been listening to this show for a while, I am the ruler of bad habits. It also really doesn't help if you accidentally dance your way into a time loop. Finally, our light-based magic provides us considerable control over the elements, granting me, I would say, advanced intermediate telekinesis and flight. Top speed still unknown. That may sound like a lot of power, listeners. And it is. I would say, along with time-based immortality and physical invulnerability relative to chaos-based karma, all of that is far too much power for one being. And now, there's two of us. Grandma taught me how to harness and use my light-based magic, and often warned me away from chaos in the way that a parent with a smoking addiction warns their child off smoking. By adolescence, we were holding powerful seances together, gently and gleefully manipulating the masses to leave us the fuck alone. I was truly invulnerable back then. Those were the days. 
There are a lot of similarities between Latin, Greek, and Aquitanian, sharing a similar sound and pronunciation structure. A basic Latin translation of our Aquitanian designation would be cicatrices in tempore, scars in time, or tempus cicatrix, time scar. There is an Aquitanian slang term, oddly derived from basic, or English if you like, tempsic. In my opinion, a rather derogatory low blow to crudely delineate our apparent and inherent insanity. Galen used to call me temptrix when I was a kid. I think in an attempt to keep me on side. Don't worry, listeners. It didn't work. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, in truth, I thought it was about time. <laughs> See what I did there? Never mind. My point is, I have come to the conclusion that laying out at least some of the rules for you might help you to understand more about the universe that I and my thicker-last crew inhabit. That, and it's a bloody long flight to Silencia Suruska from house's closest and least grumpiest threshold, but according to my current coordinates, my lovely planet of solitude should be coming into visual range now. Wait. No, that's not right. right. Four. Welcome, listeners. Welcome to what the fuck have they done? And what the fuck have I done by simply forgetting in my collective rage and introspection to check my chrono? I neglected to correctly synchronize House's independent timeline with that of my last visit to this system, and so seemed to have emerged about 50 or so years further on than I intended, in the year 2125. My last visit being 2075. And so what I expected to find before properly looking at my wrist was a planet of solitude, a somewhat inherent desolation present in all regions except that which housed the spire, that itself plunged deep into Silencia's crust and burrowed down to depths as yet unknown to me, seeming to announce itself as Silencia's singular grand focal point. Other than the theorized meteorite that presumably gave birth to the spire, Silencia Seruska was a place that had always seemed, to me, broadly untouched by the passage of time, and so the only changes I expect to be evident upon my regular returns are that of the size and characteristics of the spire itself perhaps the occasional pattern changes in the surging amethyst sands that spanned for miles around its location, and that grew to a lighter lavender hue as you ventured further south. What I did not expect to find was clear evidence of habitation. Humanoid habitation. Then I looked at my wrist properly and cursed myself. I had fucked it up again. By entering the causal nexus relative to this planet's new event position, I had now become part of those events. Thanks to Galen, I no longer had the personal power to just wind the clock back to a point of convenience inside my own timeline. The corruption of the nexus as a whole made that feat impossible to perform alone, and I wasn't exactly in the mood to ask my grandmother for help at this point. What first caught my attention were the various gigantic orbiting star cruisers. Some were over 1,600 meters long, or just over 5,000 feet at a guess. Massive, expansive, angular, all a shimmering gray. 
the largest tapering to a point like that of an arrowhead. All seemed to have weapons present on board, bold turrets, plasma cannons, and long-range missile launchers, but those attributes were far more prominent among the smaller ships in the... well, I suppose it was a fleet. The more weapon-heavy starships were only big enough to fit a crew of seven or eight, and those ships seemed to be flying in an orbital patrol formation. The three largest cruisers, two of which were identical in class and shape, orbited motionlessly, almost laboriously. The twin cruisers were glinting equilateral triangles over three and a half miles wide and could have hosted a crew of thousands each. The triangular cruisers were separated by a smaller but somehow more imposing-looking frigate, more imposing due to its rather bespoke design and exposed, pulsating indigo hypercore. I was stationed on one of Silencia's two orbiting moons, silently praising myself for neglecting to travel in one of my own starships, lest I would have surely been spotted on radar upon approach. From this distance, the planet seemed near entirely masked by shifting metal monstrosities. It seemed they were currently unaware of my presence, although, thanks to Grandma, House was ignoring me, and so gathering live information on this occupying force, if that was indeed what they were, was proving more difficult than usual. I therefore had two choices. Fly at them full force and blast my way through the blockade that itself was crisscrossed with smaller fighters flying in an impressively tight formation, alerting all to my presence and therefore likely being greeted with strong resistance planet side, which could knock me clear out of the sky and cause me to splatter upon Silencia's surface like ravaged, ruined jam. A chillingly permanent substance which I am, under the right circumstances, very much capable of becoming. Circumstances such as these. I was not, and am not exactly in fighting shape, listeners. Not at all. Admittedly, barely recovered from my encounter with the Cryodrake back on Acatania Prime, an encounter which I barely survived. I should have taken time to recover in the medical bay, However, having previously harvested just enough light energy from Acatania's sun, the sun that I was most in consort with out of all that had shined down upon me, I was able to heal all of my surface wounds, mostly to save face and curtail inevitable comments about how I was losing my edge, especially from my grandmother, though she saw fit to tear me down regardless. And she was right. Though she seemed to fail to take into account how much more difficult it now was to create and sustain stable time drop points given Galen's alterations to the clock, she was right. I am not handling this, and I haven't been for a very long time. What, then, was my other choice? The first, as I previously explained, was near certain suicide, although given the amount I had fucked everything up, that option seemed to grow more and more preferable and attractive by the second. But then the inevitable thoughts of faces of those I cared about, those I had let down, and ultimately those I could still repay, at least in some fashion, dissuaded me from this course of action. Though, having eliminated that option, it left just one. Short of returning home and coming back with a ship and attempting to lie my way through the blockade, which I just knew wouldn't work and paint an even larger target on my back, the only course of action would be to attempt to harness the moon's energy and open a portal from the moon to the planet's surface. I was using its inherent lunar energy to store up my oxygen, but would have to tap into darker energies to create the portal. 
Chaos magic, I suppose, is like smoking to Akitanian-born humanoids. And yes, though anthropomorphic personifications we may be, we are, nonetheless, born. In this situation, and in my weakened state, I suppose you could liken my use of chaos magic to making the decision to deliberately inhale a few cigars while hemorrhaging internally. Not a good idea, but it's either that, or get into a cremation oven guarded by armed robots that may or may not decide to shoot you in the liver before turning up the flames. I personally was focusing on them shooting me out of the sky, but in truth, I'd have to fly fast enough to be harder to hit, and so it's likely I'd burn up upon atmospheric entry anyway. All things considered, I'd rather go with the cigars. Though a large risk to my insides, it was also a far more covert arrival, and something told me that that would be the most necessary advantage of all. Tell Erthofsha lafno adna, Murni erise odnem. Tell tu vos em ethextrat ab the od tarfo sinia. Agner vidi emili adnetek neran teripiste od evia. This is Checkmate. How copy? Checkmate. We just had an alert of a strange, unexplained power surge. Origin point. Moon Caracas. Quick blip. Readings off the charts. Then the trace cuts off. Energy signature unknown. LT? F1. No. No. Two of the patrol pull off. And take a closer look. Gather any samples you can. I want updates every five. And while you're at it, get yourself to the nearest armed transport. I want you to personally assist the team on Caracas. Copy that. On my way now. Shall I initiate yellow alert, sir? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But keep that option ready. Something tells me we need to be on our guard. Any progress, planet side? Conversion device is still progressing. Although there's the multiple, inevitable, roadblocks due to the intricate tuning process. You sound like one of those fucking doctors. I swear to God, the way they talk is catching. Like that fucking tower. Lost two more of my men today. Staring at that thing too long. Had to put him down. I need results, checkmate. The parroters tell me that the second biodome is nearly complete, but we all know it'll just be a stopgap. Especially with more colony ships on the way. Understood, sir. To tell you the truth, I hate being out here. Can't stand these damn suits. Wouldn't be so bad, hanging out at Ground Zero. At least you can breathe there. It's that fucking tower, though. I'll recommend your reassignment when the secondary dome's completed, shall I? That's very kind, sir. Make sure and send through the IDs of the most recent KIAs. I'll be sure to have them stricken from the record. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, copy that. Five. 
Having emerged planet side from the latter side, I immediately fell flat on my face. The genuine pain of jagged rock cutting into the left-hand side of my forehead made me grunt in fatigued agony. But I could not yet raise my head. I was tasting purple gravel. Thankfully breathing, due to my internal perpetual incantation subroutines embedded in my subconscious architecture, a somewhat mixture of technical and mystical know-how. A physical implant in my brain that, when activated, forces certain areas of my subconscious to recite perpetual incantations without the need of frontline focus. Incantations to summon things like independent air pockets were simple enough, but in order for them to last, it could be difficult to focus on anything else except the incantation to breathe and one for resisting the alien elements if you're distracted with other things like, in my case, further internal hemorrhaging and possible shock. And so this ensured my protection against the punishing atmosphere of Silencia Seruska and thankfully was not based on chaos magic and therefore was not adding insult to injury. And I did feel rather bloody injured. A thought came into my mind as I lay there keeling over a low cliff edge, almost hanging over it. What had the planet's new occupants designated this fair place? I hoped, longed for something boring and easy to shut down. As I rolled over and looked up at the sky, the small piece of purple rock causing pain in my forehead still lodged in my skin. I saw that the sky had changed. Where before the clouds seemed to gleam brilliant and gold, often hiding the sun but forever bathing Silencia in an almost ancient royal glow, were now an inexplicable carmine. Blood-red clouds. Blood-red clouds with fighter patrols cutting through them. I sat up, but slowly frowning the piece of rock out of my head, and then I shot up, mouth agape, too fast for my own good, causing me to slip over the cliff's edge, which was thankfully not very high, but the landing head first, also no less painful. What had caused me to shoot up in earnest was in fact the state of the spire. I was still miles away from it at this position, having not been able to manifest the portal any physically closer, but it seemed the bigger it grew, the more visible it became from other regions of the planet. Also, nearly 50 years had gone by. It was bigger than I had ever seen it, but also more unhappy than I had ever felt it. The color of the glass structure tended to reflect that of the planet's surface, given that most of the terrain was naturally tinged purple. What I was seeing, however, was a lumpy, sickening black, as if a horrible pathogen, infection or cancer, had gripped the entire structure originating at the roots. What the hell have they done to you? LT, this is Checkmate. How copy? Checkmate. This is peculiar, sir. Guys are telling me that there's something odd about this specific signature. Odd how? Well, apparently the signature registers as that of unknown origins sounds to me like it was redacted. However, we do have a previous record of the signature itself, despite it being as yet undefined. The file it threw up is at least over a hundred years old, sir. Did you say over a hundred years? I did, sir. Dated before Dead Crown became Dead Crown. We also found what appears to be traces of DNA in the signature area, although it has been mostly exposed to the vacuum but the fact that it's still present despite the vacuum in itself is 
Odd. Bag it, checkmate. And bring all samples to the lab on the Terran. Yellow alert, sir? Yellow alert. Both on the planet and above. We may have company. Roger that. The fact that I was still spitting up blood wasn't a good sign. But I was, at least, upright, feigning confidence as I covertly limped my way over the treacherous train of Silencia, longing to fly but knowing that it would only draw attention. The patrols, it seemed, were becoming tighter and were building in numbers, a raise in alert at a guess. I did manage to temporarily hack into one of their comm feeds and was able to identify this outfit, at least the military occupation, as Dead Crown Logistics. But then the connection terminated. I hoped due to surrounding interference, as opposed to them being alerted to my presence. I didn't possess the strength or focus to camouflage myself either, and often had to dive down life-threatening razor-sharp rock slides that marked the steeper gradients of the jutting peaks further south of the Transpire to avoid being seen by patrolling starships. The second one of these leaps to relative safety caused me to break a couple more ribs, and so I was finding it hard to breathe by the time I reached the top of the next incline. Partial relief washed over me as I reclaimed my bearings, realizing that I was less than two miles from the spire. But that relief was short-lived when I regarded the sheer presence that was guarding the poor thing. Hundreds and hundreds of space-suited soldiers with blaster rifles manning turrets and patrolling in ground vehicles. And something very, very large and very wide now stood between me and the spire. A giant biodome previously hidden by the jutting peaks. Nearly spanning the size of the crater, the spire lay within and beyond. It near enveloped the spire's base, but the base of the spire itself was not sealed in by the dome. They had obviously initially built around the base of the spire and then continued building outwards, but hadn't accounted for the spire's natural tendency to move and grow over time, delineating slight structural damage at the base's origin point which, no doubt, soon became some kind of central testing chamber, one which did not possess an independent atmosphere in order to allow the spire to shift. Clearly, someone else had noticed the spire's potential for the generation of power, though it seemed they weren't attempting to manipulate the spire with chaos magic. Instead, it was something else, some other kind of energy or tainted equipment that was causing the spire to have some sort of allergic reaction? They had somehow connected cables to the thing, black, oily, and pulsating, like strange sinister gas pumps, seemingly on the verge of bursting, but rather the material stretching to accommodate the pressure of whatever was housed within. I often tried to commune with the spire, to feel and bathe in its frequency, inhale its particular resonance, before politely requesting a shimmering branch or three. But in this case, when I closed my eyes and listened, really really listened. All I could hear was a living thing crying out for help. I peeked over my vantage point at the top of the incline, surveying carefully and being even more careful to hide myself from view. There was no goddamn way I was going to be able to get past them all. Despair started to overtake me. It seemed as if everything was falling away. My body felt full of regret shame, disgust both of the self and for having been brought lower and turned more desperate than I had been used to in eons. What's more, I felt outmatched because I was, 
exceedingly weak, which I also was, and the ultimate coffin nail of the fact that even if I could somehow get to the spire, there was absolutely no guarantee of being able to synthesize a pure enough geode sample to get what I needed. What I surely needed, if I was to teach these twats not to mess with living glass, without at least asking first. Yes, I wasn't proud of shooting up physiology-altering liquid geode fibers infused with my own pre-programmed blood and solar energy signature to override my excessive use of chaos magic and thereby, temporarily, with regular use, re-granting myself invulnerability that I have lost, like a physical bypass. Not proud of it, but it works. It's worked for many years. Until today, it seems. Unless... Frowning, I put my head back on the border of the vantage point I was hiding behind, gazing up at the clouds where they met the spire. It was theoretically possible, as the spire's infection was sourced from the perverse cabling at the base, there would likely be some purer geode samples further up, some areas or branches of the spire that had not yet become infected. It was a long shot, but it was better than hiding down here and panicking. Also, it was pretty much my only option, considering that, short of an SOS, which I'm sure Jamie and co. would all unabashedly ignore, or surrender, which I doubted Dead Crown would accept, I did not actually have the power to construct a portal that would get me off-world. Given the distance I had travelled, a threshold conjuration of that distance might actually kill me. Then I'd be of no use to anyone. This plan did also entail flight. Flight which I wouldn't be able to hold for long, and which would probably get me spotted by Dead Crown's forces. I needed a distraction that would give me enough time to jump up to the thick clouds circling the spire and use them as cover. Given I had to focus energy on flight, the distraction needed to be a low-power distraction. I scanned around the vantage point again. It gave way to a ridge beyond that contained a few precarious-looking rocky formations. I stood back, breathing deeply and calling on the unseen. I closed my eyes, focusing on the rickety formations along the cliff edge. Facing both my palms out, I pushed. Feeling movement, I stopped, glancing over one more time, making sure I timed it correctly with an intersecting ground patrolling pattern. Some of the vehicles, the bigger ones at least, were mounted on wheels and chassis, whereas the smaller vehicles seemed to be powered by repulsor engines. Those smaller repulsor vehicles seemed to act as the scouts on patrol, as they could travel faster. Their driver, however, was more exposed. As the patrol unit hoved into view, led by the repulsor scouts, I again closed my eyes and began to push. I listened hard for the telltale sound of the approaching repulsor engines, took a further breath, and then shoved. I felt and heard the rocks loosening, then a sound of screaming engines, then a large crash. That was my cue. Glancing up and trying not to think about who might still see me, I jetted into the air, my head hitting the lowest hanging cloud in the space of a few seconds. It was difficult to see in the dense clouded atmosphere, and so I got a few hard knocks when attempting to avoid blatant jagged knives of crystal, but I thankfully managed to wrap myself around a particularly thick branch that possessed just enough clouded coverage to hide within. Although, holding myself in this rather monkey-like position with a few broken ribs made me just want to drop to, I'm sure, a widely celebrated death. But I held on. I held on because I was right. There were sections of the spire's occasional off-branches that, 
at least to my eye, seemed not to be tainted by whatever was being pumped into the spire's base. All I had to do now was break off a few pieces and get somewhere safe to test it, though that would be easier said than done. No, going back down with the hope of finding shelter might be suicide. As far as I could tell, they couldn't see me here, and it was best to keep it that way. I had my liquid injector on me, and with some careful telekinesis and accounting for the fact that I was currently upside down, it would be difficult, but not impossible. I silently shimmied myself towards a jutting twig of crystal. They broke away with manual tugging, but still took quite a bit of effort. That was good. That meant that at least the pathogen wasn't causing the spire structure to lose crystalline integrity at this height. Sweating, I began the telekinetic manipulation process, bringing heat to the crystal and preparing my pre-programmed vial of blood and the injector. All the glowing apparatus and ingredients circled around my cranium like metallic fireflies. I clung hard to the crystal branch like a koala bear, trying and failing not to sweat. I took as many deep breaths as I needed, attempting to retune the frequency of my elemental subroutines to repeat at a faster rate for this next part, the more difficult part. The chaos incantation. Uttering it wasn't the problem. It was what the utterance may result in. Usually, if I'm performing chaos in front of people, I just smile through the pain. However, when I perform it solo, I tend to do things like drop to my knees and say, ow, because mostly it really bloody hurts. And so, naturally, I was concerned as I began to mix my blood into the now liquid crystalline matter that I'd just simply lose consciousness in my weakened state and crash to the earth like a blood-filled banana. Pushing these thoughts from my mind, I began the incantation. Yanto nosni tobolo adne vinilixak lakis yaramonte adne gitrayet tel et losu elini rodrotath til yam ektris ertu kaptesith underne katresid kempi elivni roy empri. Coming back to myself, I immediately tightened my grip. The crystallized cocktail was now back in a solid state, though this time intrinsically infused with my altered blood. Now I just had to use the injector to melt that back down. This process took a couple of minutes longer than I would have liked, considering how close I was coming to losing my grip. But as soon as that injector beeped, I suddenly possessed enough optimism to keep holding on for hours. I selected my neck as the point of injection, not wanting to endure any delayed reactions. I removed a hand grip from the branch, catching the injector as it circled past my vision. It felt warm in my hand. Pressing one of the switches on the bottom, I exposed the sharp needle, and without missing a beat, jabbed it into my neck. Waited exactly twenty seconds, then let go of the shimmering branch. Though, even before I hit the ground, I could tell that something wasn't right. Six. Communications Bay. House. You're kidding me. 
You put a tracer on them? Yeah, the psychic one. Grison made it. Goes in your ear and sets up camp. Akitanians have a partially exposed inner auditory nerve at the base of the canal. I stuck it in their ear when they were unconscious beside the dead dragon thingy. Hey, don't look at me like that. They disappear all the time, to lots of known places and some unknown places. Like planets they have seemingly named themselves. I used to name planets all the time. Well, listen to you suddenly rushing to your grandchild's defense. I had no idea what you mean, Miss Mortimer. Gigi, you broke their heart. Didn't you see their face? I was just jabbing at them, my dear. And their face always looks like that. I think you jabbed a little too deep on that one. Did you know? Again, I don't know. Oh, bullshit. You know pretty much everything, Gigi. I'm not buying that. Sorry. Neither am I. Oh, detective. Don't be such a fucking turncoat. You must have known, even before you recovered, that they were shooting geodes. Or that at least something wasn't right. Redgrin told me about that inherent lack of familial perception filtery thing, where you genuinely can't help seeing your blood as it truly is. And come on, if they've been abusing geodes as a result of what we now know as chaos-based karma, which would suggest an overuse of that magic, severing physiological access to their inherent invulnerability. This must all stem from the alterations made to the clock. What do you mean? Well, isn't it at least conceivable that what's been done to time would be having an inherent negative effect on a being descended from the original manipulators of the fourth dimension, like the state Gigi was in in the medbay, that whoever or whatever they're communing with to brew those chaotic connections might be incurring an unfair penalty trying to punish them for their apparent failure. Huh. That is a very, very specific guess, sweetheart. Not bad, though, detective. Look, whatever is in those crystals, it fried the connection to Gray's homemade psychic interface when Red injected the new dose, which, for all we know, could have been infected with a further unknown substance that could further damage their already fucked physiology. They could be five times more vulnerable, or ten times more dangerous. Alright, we know they're around about fifty years ahead. House, how close can you get us? Synchronization is nearly complete. It'll take quite a lot of power, but I can put you in the eastern wing of the Ground Zero Biodome. Sounds good. It seems there is a two-way teleportation access that links one of the main colony ships, the one known as the Terran, to the planet's surface, although it has just recently completed construction. Then that's our way in. You mean that's my way in? Since when are you coming? Oh, I don't know. Since I was the only one when my uncle was actually present that spoke in their favor, as opposed to you that invaded their privacy to find out they're secretly a ridiculously high-functioning drug addict and now you feel guilty. Both of you are turncoats. And you, Grandmama, I don't even want to look at right now. Bryson, I don't. don't. You tore them down for no reason. And you two just sat there, stony-faced. Hunter and Lana, I can understand, even Johnny. They are brand new to this, and Redgrin, more than anyone, would never expect them to get it all this quickly, fast learners though they may be. Now, Redgrin isn't the most fragile they've ever been, and could fucking die, all because they were surrounded by people they felt they couldn't be honest with. I know so many people Redgrin terrifies, but if my uncle fears opening up about something as important as this, Feels like they have to lie, perpetuate, and die 
trying to live, then what the hell does that say about you? And what the hell does that say about how they think you see them? No, wait, don't answer that. I'm going to take a breath and you're going to tell me about their orbital defences. Well, they... In fact, no. Stay shut up. House, one of the more and yet still questionably innocent members of this party in this sad situation we find ourselves in, you can tell me. Uh, having analysed the orbital blockade, I would advise a multifaceted approach. Multifaceted? So grown up. The exposed core on the adjoining frigate creates a plasma field barrier, or shield gate, around the upper portion of the planet's surface upon activation of Red Alert, which will have no doubt been activated when Red Green went offline. Indeed. Therefore, it's likely the shield will be activated upon arrival. If we get spotted, or worse, surrounded, the first thing we need to do is collapse the threshold. Depending on its position, its exposure, we can't risk it being noticed or scanned by those dead crown dicks. Precisely. And so, a starship-based entrance and ultimate exit would be preferable. I'm sorry to interrupt, but why don't we just do what Redgrin did? Land on Caracas, but with a ship this time, and then just portal to the planet's surface. Bypass the shield gate altogether. Both ways. Because, if for whatever reason Caracas is being monitored, we don't want to get there and find our ship in restraining bolts if we're desperate for escape with barely any fight left in us. And we can't be sure that we're going to be strong enough or in a stable enough position or situation to rely on portal manifestation level magic. Jumping into a dropship and covering it with protective constructs while likely lightspeed skipping to safety? Much more secure. House, I'm guessing the shield gate has a shutdown terminal or power source deactivation? Indeed, Doctor. It can be deactivated remotely from the Terran, or failing that can be destroyed at the source. The frigate. Take that out. You take out the shield gate. I want you two on the dropship, ready to make planet fall, on my signal. And what are you going to do? I'm going to enter through the planet-side biodome threshold with this confident shattermaid here. Hey! Do shut up, dear. Gigi will assist Redgrin on the ground with the enemy forces and keep us abreast of their physical and mental state. Maybe you could, oh, I don't know, try and actually say nice things this time? I, meanwhile, will take the telepad up to the Terran and shut down the shield gate. Hopefully permanently, giving you two time to land. Hopefully unnoticed. I'll make sure and give you a distraction. Then, I'll meet you planetside. And we'll all leave. Together. Clear? Crystal. Good. You sure you're okay going up there alone? I'm not getting Hunter into this. Or Lana. Or Johnny. I work better alone. It's your job to keep the dropship intact. Until we see a window to get the hell out of there. You got it, Doc. House, one more thing. Yes, Doctor. What do we know about Dead Crown? According to the records, they were originally known as Lead Crown, a small private military contractor operating out of the Seychelles in the early to mid-21st century, specifically launched in November 2005, after they had established a base in the aforementioned waters. They're from Earth? Indeed, Miss Mortimer. Lead Crown. I swear that... Sounds familiar? It should. They were a major player during the supply and demand created during the Dark Pill Death. They were based outside the US, from what I remember, and so had somewhere far enough away to retreat. Galen had people on all sides, playing off against one another, to create more conflict, more supply, more demand. It's been over a hundred years. With Galen's backing through proxies since 2017 or before, he's now having them assist in colonizing an as-yet unterraformed planet? Do we know what their 
doing to the transpire? Not exactly, but I would hypothesize that they have the means to somehow convert the atmosphere, but are in need of a stable power source, somehow intrinsically linked to the planet for ease of full conversion. They're trying to understand what made the spire, and destroying it in the process. They couldn't even break off a fucking piece and test that independently, like my uncle had been doing near harmlessly for centuries. They had to plug everything in, and start killing it. Classic humans. On that, Grandmama, we wholeheartedly agree. Everyone get what you need. This is gonna be close. End of part one. one. If you're a podcast clown like I am, you must have dreamed about starting your own. Let me tell you, my dreadful darlings, it's never easy, but it's one of the best decisions I ever made. It was either that or waste away in my own subjective ascendance. Of course, it can be more than just a little overwhelming to know how to get started. Buzzsprout can help you launch your podcast professionally and in style, linking you with all of the major podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and much, much more. Join us up in the buzzing, sprouting podcast cloud to breathe in the renowned analytical sound of the accurate analysis and promotion tools provided. Follow the link in the show notes below to start your journey and receive a $20 Amazon gift card. We're waiting for you. Buzzsprout, the best and excitingly prettiest way to start a podcast.